All right. Happy Tuesday, everyone. We are coming into the close of the summer. It is August 23rd. And uh, yeah, so today is less of a conversation about the, the landscape of learning technology and um, all that good stuff, although there are direct implications to it. Uh, that today, I ended up having kind of an opening and thought I would just jump on, talk a little bit more about skills, but in a different avenue than we often see in the headlines. So, you know, we, we hear and continue to see conversations about skills as we think about the workforce, as we think about employees, as we think about it kind of in this ethereal space related to that. But a lot of times we're not necessarily looking inward or looking back in the mirror on, well, what does that actually mean for us as L&D professionals? And what do we need to be doing to stay current, stay relevant, all this good stuff? Now, I will tell you out of the gate that this is a conversation that I could probably have for far more than the hour that I have scheduled. So if, if you know, you're know you thinking this is going to be an all-out comprehensive lens on everything there is to know about skills for L&D, I'm, I'm not even going to promise that. I'm also not going to promise that I have all the answers to this, but I certainly have a point of view on it. So for that, I thought I would just jump on, kind of talk through this. Here's kind of the lay of the land uh, in terms of the overall structure that I'm going to take to this. And then I also want to encourage, for those of you who are, are joining live, you know, let me know you're here, let me know kind of where you are, comment in, things like that. But I'd also encourage you to ask follow-up questions to anything that I, I have on this. Uh, I've gotten some questions kind of ahead of time through the community. Some people reached out ahead of time and asked, you know, are you going to be going super role specific? Are you going to be diving into roles for specific or skills for specific roles? The short answer to that is it's a little bit of a yes and no. So I'm, I'm trying to focus on some of the broader, bigger kind of what I would call durable skills, which I didn't come up with that term. I think I first heard it from Matthew Daniel, which by the way, Matthew, if you hear that, I love the durable perishable thing. Um, so trying to focus on, on those durable pieces. But what I don't want to overlook is there is some nuance to the application of that based on role in learning and development. So I, I will go into some of the nuance, at least my take on some of the nuance on how these things may be applied. Because while we can, I think this is one of the downsides to talking about durable skills at this ethereal level is it, it doesn't necessarily make it relevant. But I also would encourage those who are watching live to actually ask follow-up questions because sometimes there is that nuance of, well, how would you think about it in this situation? And I will say, if you were to talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, it would likely be a very different conversation in terms of the level of depth. So I consider this a resource for you versus an opportunity for me to talk about things. Um, and again, like I said, I think there's just a lot of talk out there about the changes in L&D, but a lot of it just, from my perspective, it lacks the context as to why. Why does this really matter? It's not really addressing the whole fear behind it. And I think fear is a huge barrier to some of the skill gaps that we see in our own field, but also more broadly, and, and what the threat to that is. So um, the, the overall structure I'm going to take, I am going to kind of start with a rundown of some of the biggest shifts that we're seeing in the workplace and how those are directly impacting L&D. Going back to this context of, okay, we're saying we need new skills. We're saying things need to shift. What's what's driving that? What's ultimately driving some of these things? And, and how are we connecting the dots between what's happening from a business and workforce trend to what we need to know as learning and development professionals? So I've, I've highlighted a few. Again, I could probably do a whole session on just nothing but that, but we'll try and be relatively succinct 
on there would again encourage any sort of questions along the way and then from there go into i i really broke it into two categories some i would say are refreshed durable skills they're they're what i would consider skills that have have been in existence in our field for some time but because of some of the trends that are happening because of what's going on they almost need a refresh. We almost need to say it's time to reset what we mean by these things. So I think there's this category of refresh durable skills. And then I, I, I hate saying new ones because I don't know that there's anything new under the sun anymore, but I do think there are some newish durable skills that, that I'm, I'm going to outline and, and kind of define what those mean. And again, as I go through them, I will do my best to apply what, what I mean by that, because really ultimately where I want to connect the dots on this is, and again, this is not designed to be all encompassing for everything, but when we look across the L and D portfolio, one of the things that I think is just a, is a huge tragedy is a lot of times it's painted with just a broad stroke brush. It's just, well, you're an L and D professional, so build these skills. And I don't think that really does our, our industry justice because the field of L&D is extremely diverse. There's a diverse portfolio of roles and capabilities within the L&D function. And I, I will say from a trend in L&D standpoint, I think the need to specialize in, not necessarily in these hyper-specific areas. I think sometimes that's where specialization goes off the rails, where we get hyper-specialized. But I do think there's value in saying, Listen, within L&D, there is value to specializing in one of these major skill areas. So as we look at these skills, I want to talk about, well, how might those relate to these different skill areas? So I'm, I don't need to read the slide to you, but right, like what is that kind of front end? What is the actual architecture and design? Those are two different skill areas. What is the actual operations and delivery? And then there's the technical operations versus the technical delivery. And I think those are two different areas. If you look at the overall PM, PMO, project management and impact, that's its own area of expertise. And then the whole technology innovation side, which I hesitate to put innovation there because I think everybody needs to be focused on innovation. But when we really think about that, that specialization of staying ahead of where things are, I think that's a different skill set. So as you look at what you're building, in L&D, I think anybody who may be listening or watching this and going, okay, where, where as I listen to this, may I want to focus my attention or what may I want to do as a result of hearing some of these things? I think the first step would be saying, well, what area of specialization in L&D are you looking at focusing in? And if, if you're not focusing in one of these areas, I would say that's, that's probably a natural first step is to say, okay, well, I want to be better or more skilled in L&D where? To what end? What are you really trying to do? I, I think the days of being the MacGyver of L&D are, are, are waning. Um, that's not to say there aren't certain organizations, certain situations where, yeah, you do to some degree have to be a jack or Jill of all trades. But I think at some point you have to take the step to going back to the T-shaped model. You, you need to specialize in an area. And I think that's one of the things that as we get into the skills, I'll talk about the nuance because there is a <clears throat> different nuance to the application and skill shifts in each of these different areas. So uh, I'll, I'll reference back to this maybe occasionally. I'll keep it in queue. 
Uh, for those who may say, because uh, somebody always asks, hey, do you have that slide? I do. I'll probably share it in the community type of a thing uh, as a, as a follow-up. But, but anyway, just want to give some context to, I want to hit things at a high level while at the same time doing a little bit of, of deeper dive into where we're applying that. All right. Now, like I said, I am going to try and focus primarily on these durable skills that I think have the biggest bang for their buck versus getting hyper specialized in, you know, if you're a, if you're an instructional designer, should you specialize in unity as, as we move into the immersive technology space? Uh, maybe, maybe not depends on your situation. It's, it's just way too nuanced for me to get into that. Uh, so really what are some of the ones that apply across that's, but, but before we do, right, we're nine minutes in, Let's talk about some of these bigger trends and connect the dots back to why, from my vantage point, these are really driving some of the demands for us as, as learning and talent professionals to be changing. I mean, one of the biggest ones is you look at the pace at which, and you're going to see where this one comes up, the speed at which business is moving now is unprecedented. I mean, now the granted that's, that's driven by a lot of things. And I think there's, you know, some room for us to slow down, to go fast in business, but I would say technology has just <clears throat> allowed things to happen at a speed and scale that were just historically impossible. So when you look at that, that then has a direct waterfall impact on us as L and D professionals. Because you have to think, well, if the business is moving faster than it ever has before, we have to as well. We absolutely have to pick up the pace to keep pace. So I think that's one of these big drivers we're seeing You know, businesses change overnight and it's happening extremely fast. So they're not only going quicker, but they're going through dramatic business transformation. I mean, this is significant stuff. Businesses are flipping their entire business model in, in a matter of months. So then the waterfall effect hits us as, okay, well then how are we adapting and moving quicker to keep up with that? So the days of being able to be slow, take our time, go through this nice process-driven waterfall of, well, before we get to step two, we have to fully complete step one, the, that is behind us. And, and I think sometimes there's a tendency to want to cling to that, but I think that's a business change. It's not going anywhere. Business isn't going to start slowing down. We're not going to stop you know, moving through transformations, it's not going to go anywhere. So I think that's one of the big ones that has just really reared its head in the past couple of years, but that it was happening long before that and why it affects us. The conversation of skills, the fact I'm even having this, and I would say I've referenced the word skills and behaviors in conversations outside of L&D circles. That's something that is a more recent trend. That is something that organizations are having a greater recognition that skills are, while I would still say there's a lot of room for, for clarification around, well, what do you mean by that? How are you measuring that? How are you identifying skills? We got, we got a ways to go on that. But the conversation of skills being in the vernacular of the business is is rising, it's there, and it's only going to go higher. So that has a direct correlation back to us as, as learning professionals, because now this idea of transferring knowledge, it's, it's not acceptable anymore. It's not acceptable to simply say, well, we told them this, because now there's added pressure, added accountability to say, yes, and what skills are we developing to address these massive business transformations, these massive needs? 
Like I said, is there still a ways to go? Sure. But are we on this growing trend that it has a direct implication on the work we do that is actually driving a change in us in the way we think, the way we work, the way we operate, the way we speak? This is really a big one that's happening. And I, and I just really don't see it going anywhere, period. Uh, hybrid working. I don't need to talk about hybrid work a whole lot. I think there's an overload of information on hybrid work. But the reality is, I don't know that there's always a great recognition that this has fundamentally disrupted everything we thought we knew about learning and development. Ah, that may be a bit of an overstatement. It, it disrupted a lot in the sense that there used to at least still be some sense of we can count on when people work or where they work or how they work. There was a little bit of stability that we had, even in global distributed organizations, there still was kind of working ways of working company culture in terms of how that happened. And that's not to say that's all just gone off the, off the rails, but I would say more than ever before, flexibility becoming king for the workforce has, has fundamentally disrupted how work happens, where work happens, what people are doing, how they're prioritizing their work and, and these other things. And so when you think about that, that directly impacts what we're doing and the way we think about things, because now even that whole mentality of, well, this is what we're learning and development looks like is being challenged. Well, who says that's what it needs to look like? That's not the way we work as a business anymore. Why does L and D have to still model to that? Now, do we have work to, to go? Yeah, absolutely. But is this a fundamental shift? in what's happening in the way work is happening, the way the workforce is behaving, the way they're thinking about things that should be fundamentally changing how we approach things, which fundamentally affects the skills that we have. Again, if we're changing things, we require different or modified skill sets to be able to meet that. Um, you know, we've got companies overall struggling to retain and, and acquire talent. Uh, a recent research report that I was looking at, I can't remember if it was McKinsey or something else, but there still is this overall sense that one of the things that the workforce is yearning for is development. Now, granted, some of that could be, I just am looking for access to knowledge or, or opportunities to grow, but with the democratization of the internet and, and just access to information, People aren't necessarily looking to L&D for that like they used to. They're not coming to us going, I just really need to figure out how to do this thing. Do, does L&D have something on that? They're, they're going to other sources for that. And so I think that changes how we bring ourselves to market and the value we bring. If we're still trying to compete with these consumer grade things that people are just accustomed to, we're, we're not going to keep pace. We're not going to keep pace. So we have to think differently about, well, what does that then mean to be a learning workforce enablement function? Well, that that's a different go-to-market strategy. It's a completely different way we enable the business, which requires, again, a different skill set and, and our ability to identify, measure skills, grow them, all those kinds of things. are It's, it's, it's a different animal. Um, one other one, and I, and I typically try and shy away from, from generational, you know, stereotypes and things like that. But there is a ton of research coming out about Gen Z, about it being the most 
diverse, the diverse, most diverse workforce that's ever hit America. Uh, it's the largest workforce. It's the most distributed. I mean, the demands. So, so we actually have a new generation that's grown up in a different world now entering the workforce. So their expectations of education, their expectations of development, their expectations of all this stuff, it's different. It's different. Well, anything that's different is going to require a modified skill set. Now, the one thing, and I've got one more point um, that I think we have to be really careful of, and Nicole, I'm going to actually address your comment because I think it's a really good one, is this sometimes can be positioned as doom and gloom type stuff. And this is where I, I mentioned it earlier. This can run fear through an L&D organization. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. But I've seen it where people go, does this mean I am no longer relevant? Does this mean that what I bring to the table is not valuable to the organization? And anytime I hear that, I, I just kind of go, oh, that is not the message we should be hearing is that what we do is less relevant, that a computer could do what we, well, if we're doing what we've always done, then yes, a machine probably can do some of the things that we could better. But if we modify, if we tweak our skill sets and go back to these durable components and say, all right, well, how do we reframe these durable skills in a way that's meaningful? Then actually, if anything, I think there's opportunity for us to add more strategic value, more value to the organizations than we ever have. So again, I I'm very frequently encounter fear when, when we hear reskilling. And that's a caution I would say we take with anything we're doing in the organization. Because when we go out to the organization and say, we need to reskill, we need to upskill business transformation, people are afraid of that because that sounds like I'm not relevant. And I think we just need to be really careful. But, but we can't only think about that in terms of the workforce. We need to think that about ourselves too and say, does this mean we're irrelevant? No, it doesn't. Does it mean we have to adapt to these massive changes that are happening to the way work is done, the way people prioritize their life and their work? Well, yeah, absolutely. Does the consumer grade access to things change what people's expectation is of corporate learning? You bet. You bet it does. Uh, should we fear that? No, but it does mean change. And that does mean getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you know, Nicole, I, I do want to call out your, your point on kind of this ability for us to help people take on stretch tasks. I think this is, again, one of these things that organizations are being asked to push, you know, people hunger for talent mobility, the ability to grow, to take on new things. And I think that's an area for us to really lean into this. Now, the one last kind of industry trend or workforce trend that we're seeing that, and again, I could, there's probably 37, that's a totally random number I just made up right now, but that I could pick on. But these are some of the big ones. The other one is this, there is dramatic shifts happening in tech. And I, and I, probably geek out on this more than many do, but this is having a huge, huge impact on the way work is done. You, you talk about automation. I think, again, this is one of those terms that gets tossed around a lot without necessarily recognizing, well, what does that mean? You know, well, does it mean that some of the work that you're doing can be done better by a machine? Yeah. It absolutely can. And it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I was actually looking back through some of my learning tech talks because I'm coming up on three years now. 
and was looking back at some of them. And in January, after the first couple months of doing it, I was talking about automation to content development. And at the time it was very immature, but you know, you think about this, a machine can curate content and organize it faster and better than we can. Now that's, that's terrifying. Now the same is true with the workforce. There are things that people are doing that are better served for a machine. That can be terrifying. But at the same time, that can also create great opportunity. And I think that's where both as L&D professionals, but we got to think about our workforce to say, well, okay, that's a shift that's happening. Jobs that are in existence today will either not be there or will look radically different than they did before, which means any sort of change requires a skill set change, which means the people that are in those jobs, if it's a refresh version of those jobs, are going to require new skills or they're going to be needed to move into a different job, which means they're going to need new skills. So ultimately, all of this is tying back to how all these massive changes are, are trickling and having a direct impact, which, you know, there's lots of conversations about, well, l and in the spotlight. l and is, you know, now has a better seat at the table than they ever have before. I, I think the opportunity is absolutely there. It's a matter of whether we're going to take it. But in order to take that, we have to actually reevaluate our skill profiles, the way we're doing things and say, are, are we operating in this new way of work? Are we operating through the same lens that we're expecting our workforce to operate? Are we changing as dramatically and as, as fundamentally as work is in the businesses? And if not, does that mean we should run around and blow things up for the sake of blowing things up? No, I, I, don't, I don't think that's ever a wise move. But if, if we're looking around, looking at the landscape of business transformation, technology, the way work is getting done, how people are prioritizing their work, and then we look in the mirror and go, but pretty much what we're doing looks exactly the same as it did five years ago, we have to, we have to be able to then say, all right, that's a problem. That's a problem that we now need to look at and say, what are we going to do about it? Um, so, so what does that mean, right? Okay, great. Hopefully, if if nothing else, that gives some context to this uh, as to why this matters. But it's like, so what? So what are we supposed to do about this? Because going back to this, fear continues to be the number one inhibitor I encounter that prevents people from being able to make changes. Fear of the unknown, fear of our ability to make the shift, fear of, I mean, it just is, it's paralyzing to organizations. Now, at the same time, I think there's some other things that we have to account for. I mean, change is hard. So yeah, it's a lot easier. I, I was talking to someone this week and said, I mean, my job would be a whole lot easier if I just set cruise control and, you know, ran things exactly the same way that I've always run them. That, that would be a much easier way to do things. So is there, is there kind of this tendency to want to, oops, my AI kicked in. It apparently picked up my hand gesture. Sorry, I'm turning that off. Anyway, um, that said, so let's, let's, let's shift the conversation over to skills. So again, thanks for those of you who are kind of commenting in. I will try and uh, do my best to add, add those comments into the conversation as we go, but keep them coming as we go and I'll, and I'll bring them into the dialogue. So let's kind of talk about, okay, so what do we, what do we want to do about this? 
what are some of these key skills? And again, there's two categories that I'm going to break it into. What I would say are the first that I'll talk about are the refreshed durable skills. These would be ones that I think have been in existence that you know we, we probably should have been doing if we weren't for a long time, but then ultimately, you know, how are we actually then bringing that into practice? So the first one that I, I mean, I just can't say this one enough. And this, this gets really big. So I will warn you, this first one is a topic that probably is an umbrella term that goes way deeper than what I'm about to dig into. So I'll try and unpack it, give it a little bit of color, also talk about kind of the application of it. The first one would be consulting skills. And when I say consulting skills, that is a very, very, very broad term for things like critical thinking, like curiosity, asking good questions, problem solving. I think it's very much tied to the relational component of, you know, how are you building stakeholder relationships? How are you managing those relationships? Uh, there's a there's a report out, and I will actually probably share this on Thursday, or maybe I'll share it in the community right after. But Criteria came out with 15 skills of the future. Um, and I think Detlef Hold, I think you actually shared something about this yesterday, uh, which is what originally caught my attention. But I think some of these consulting skills that I'm talking about are highlighted very well in that. So if you want to check that out, I will share that in the community. But it, it, but it gets into kind of what would we kind of bucket these consulting skills and how do we develop them? Because again, you could say, well, I want to develop consulting skills. Well, that could be taken very tactically like, well, does that mean you know business development? Are we supposed to be doing business development? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe in some ways, but that's not necessarily what I'm what I'm talking about. So um, I, I will share that. But I think the point that I that I bring with this is this has to be built across the entire going back to this model here of the operations of LMD and kind of the portfolio of it. These consulting skills, we have got to beef these up in every single area. So this is one of those like universal skills where if if kind of this critical thinking, problem solving, creativity, innovation, building, maintaining relationships, all of that, that really applies now in areas where it maybe historically has only been left to, well, we really only did that on the business needs analysis, or maybe at, at a leadership level, it was our job to do some of this consulting to maintain these relationships. This is where I would say the shift now is happening, that we need to actually be bringing these skills in depth and to a higher degree than we ever have at all levels, at, at every single level in the organization. And I can just say from, from example, as an example, you know, the work that I've been doing at ChenMed, I mean, this was something that really we laid out as part of our strategy going into it. As we said, we have to build consulting skills across every single member of this team. So yes, obviously, if you're doing needs and intake and business analysis, sure, of course, there you need it. But if you're, if you're an instructional or experienced designer, those consulting skills are are even more important now than ever because you're going back to kind of tying this back to some of these crazy things happening in the business. The analysis of what you're trying to solve for is not done on the front end, which I'll, I'll get to kind of a newish skill I think we need to build. And so if, if you're an ID or an XD, you need to, you need to be doing this consulting throughout your entire process. So if this is an area that you've gone, why well, I, 
I didn't necessarily really need to build that skill out. I, I kind of wasn't involved in that part of the process. This more than anything, this business consulting skill is at the forefront. I, even even so much as I, I've talked with groups, you know, even in like, I've, I've been challenged. Well, really like an LMS administrator, do they really need to have business consulting skills? Yes. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. In fact, if I were hiring somebody in even a training coordinator role, um, any role, business consulting skills would be at one at the top of the list of things that I would be looking at to say, are you able to problem solve? Are you able to dig into this? Are you able to do that? And you may say, well, if we're just putting you know modules in an LMS, is that really necessary? Yes, because people are going to come and say, I need you to put this in the LMS and deploy it out. And I need you to not push back but have a strategic business discussion about that because you may say, well, it's already been done. We just need to get it out there. Well, maybe so, but you now have an opportunity at every step in the process to influence the outcome and say, well, maybe we designed it this way, but have we thought creatively about the way we deploy it? Have we thought about who it's reaching, the audiences we're trying to touch? When is it most relevant to them? Let's discuss what we're hoping to accomplish by bringing this to light? Should we do it in teams? Should we push it through the LMS? Should we talk about flowing this into the workflow? Is this a job aid that we actually need to talk about? You know, mandatory, did they complete it or not? I mean, that is a consulting skill set that needs to bleed through every single role in the organization. And I think that is a, the reason I say it's a refresh durable skill is, I think as L&D practitioners, we've always had to, to some degree, be business consultant. We've had to do some degree of consulting with clients to talk to them about what they're trying to solve. I think that in this new world where things are changing so fast, your subject matter experts probably don't have a full grasp on what they're trying to solve for. So sending them a form and saying, tell me what problem you're trying to solve. I mean, they may not be able to articulate it terribly well. And so that demand for us to be able to say, I may not be the expert, but I can lean in. I can ask really critical questions. I can try and understand what you're trying to do. I understand how these pieces may fit together. That, that has to be a baseline expectation. And I don't think that's always been the case when we think about, well, what is our role in L&D? I think that's been more of a, well, I maybe have to do that sometimes, or that's more in this segment, You know, going back to this operation site. Well, that maybe is more on the front end or is, is really on the technology side. If they're innovating, they're doing a little more business consulting, trying to put together a business case. I would say now that has to just, again, bleed through the lifeblood of everything that we're doing. And that means a, a skill set shift because it's something that not everybody has had to historically pull on or the muscles may be weak. I mean, if, if you do any sort of exercise, you know, if you don't use a muscle a lot, it's going to it's going to atrophy. And I think there's been a fair amount of atrophy that may have happened even for folks who maybe did this more. Maybe I, I see this in L&D folks who maybe came from the consulting side and then came into it, uh, came into L&D, and then it was a little more you know steady state. Here's how things operate. And you can lose your edge. You can lose your edge on that. And I think with the pace at which technology, business, and the workforce are changing, we just can't because I, I can't see who it is. But I think this whole question of what problem are you trying to solve, the reason it now ties to the entire 
operational life cycle is it's, I need to understand what problem you're trying to solve right now, because that may change even by the time we get through this project, or it may change in the duration of this project. And we may need to pivot and adapt in that. And I think that's where that, you know, the idea that an LMS administrator, by the time it gets to them, it should be fully baked. I would say, no, things may well have changed. The audience dynamics may have changed. Heck, the, the, the ecosystem of tech you may be using may have changed by the time it gets there. So I know I'm going on a little bit of a tirade on this one, but I think this is one of the things that has often been kind of either often assumed or overlooked or kind of partitioned off into, well, that's only for this part of our process, or that's only for if you're having this kind of conversation versus, no, this needs to be basically your mode of operations, regardless of what role you're in and regardless of what you're doing. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pull off that one um, unless there's additional kind of comments. And, and yes, Nicole, you're right. I, I have said this a lot of times and I will probably continue to say this, that this is really a critical one. Um, another one of these refreshed durable skills. I, I'm going to re-hit this one, which is facilitation. This is a skill that I think we have an opportunity to completely refresh. Um, and Liz, you're 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 getting it. You're getting ahead of me here. I I agree with you on that one. Um, but this facilitation is an opportunity to actually shift. So there's two parts to this. I think one. There's still a bit of a, you know, knowledge delivery mentality that that sits in our industry where we're still in in many regards delivering information. We're transferring knowledge from from one person to the other. Now that's not new, and that's why I say it's a refresh durable skill because I think there's an opportunity for us to kind of hit reset and say, are we really facilitating? And not just when we're leading a a live training session. But are we really facilitating in the way we're doing our business consulting? You know, are we showing up and actually facilitating a dialogue, a discussion, a conversation? Or are we showing up either telling people what we think needs to happen or just kind of robotically taking instructions from things? I mean, that is a different skill set. And going back to consulting being at the foundation of everything, facilitation ties to far more than delivering a training session. And I think there's an opportunity for us to say, wait a minute, are we actually looking at facilitation as a core skill set regardless? Again, I think this is one that's been like, well, if you're in a training specialist role, that then you know, you're delivering live training. Yes, facilitation is a thing. And I still think there's opportunity, which I'll get to there. But I think with this consulting piece, facilitation is a skill set that we have to now master at all levels. Are, are we master facilitators in everything we do, whether that's delivering a presentation, whether that's running a business meeting, whether that's delivering a live training set, I mean, whatever it is, are we truly facilitators or are we still knowledge mouthpieces that are, are, are simply kind of spewing information out? Now, I think on the other side of that, one of the fundamental business disruptions that is driving this to a fundamental skill change is, I mean, we got hybrid work now. We don't have people in the same location. We can't count on a conference room or a meeting room or a conference venue to actually engage and facilitate with people. We are having to fundamentally relearn how to facilitate. And that's not just, oh, well, when there's the live meeting, I've now added 
polls into the meeting. I mean, that's not facilitation. That's throwing engagement into something. And I think there's this opportunity to say, first of all, one, what do we mean with facilitation? Have we really deconstructed what facilitation is? Because now this needs to be in every role. But then fundamentally, do we have the skills to do this seamlessly in a virtual environment, in a local environment, or a hybrid environment? I can tell you right now, I've, I've worked with teams to try and build their hybrid skill set. Facilitating hybrid learning for any of my facilitator folks out there who, who are doing this, you know this is, not, this is not an easy animal to tame. It is not something that you just go, well, you know, I, we just have like the Zoom in the back of the room and then we engage with the audience in the room. I mean, we've all been in that meeting where you're the one virtual participant and you feel like this was a giant waste of my time. Well, a good facilitator knows how to bring those people into the fold, how to engage them in different ways, how to use the technology to actually draw in their audience. And I think this is something that as we look at the skill sets of L&D, this isn't something that is, well, this is limited to, you know, just our, our you know, learning delivery team. They, they need to get better at facilitation. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I have no doubt they do. They've got programs now that are running hybrid, programmatic, cohort style. You've got community learning stuff happening. Well, yeah, they've got to learn how to do that. But if you're, if you're an instructional designer, if you're a project manager, you need to fundamentally up your game when it comes to facilitation in, in now a multimedia way uh, that you didn't have to before. So again, this is where it's one where I would say, yeah, it's, it's a durable skill and this isn't going away. So if you're investing in this, nobody's ever going to say, boy, you know what? I wish, I wish I was a worse facilitator. I really wish I hadn't spent time getting good at engaging and facilitating with dynamic audiences across different modalities. Like that's not a skill set you're going to regret investing in, especially as an L&D professional. And I would say it has an application well outside our industry, but as, as things like that. I mean, in terms of tools, Lulu, it's, it's a fair question. Are there tools and resources that you recommend for facilitators? You know, someone shared it with me and I, I wish I had bookmarked it. There, there's this community, they're based out of Australia and they're literally just for facilitators. It's, it's literally a, it's a hybrid facilitator community and I cannot for the life of me remember it. Um, but they do a fantastic job and I've heard tons of great things out there for, for that. Uh, so are there? Yes. Do I have a whole list, you know, that I could curate and say, here you go, here's things to check out off the top of my head. No, where I will caution people on this though. And I think this is where we get, we can get distracted from things is be careful that to improve your facilitation skills, you don't become dependent on tools. That would be one of the things that I would just be really careful with. Um, are there some new technologies coming out that are doing a really good job making it easier to engage and facilitate things? Sure. I mean, we can, I could, you know, oh, well, I mean, Miro, what, I, I'm not going to list because then people are going to be like, are you saying those are the tools to get? But the point is, are there tools out there that can really help do this well? Absolutely. Um, I, I think this is a still a small and underrepresented segment in the learning tech ecosystem is true facilitation, especially in the virtual space tools, it's, it's an underrepresented segment. However, don't underestimate the skills required 
that go alongside that because a new tool is not going to fix it. And, and I, and I know, you know, Lulu, we know each other. I know, I know, you know that, but I'm, I'm reemphasizing this for anybody who may watch or listen to this later that, um, just be very, very, very careful with this because I have seen people purchase software tools, widgets thinking, well, this is going to make me a better facilitator and it won't. By, by default, it will not. This also goes back to work that we have to do, which I'm going to get to here. The way we are designing has to fundamentally change. If you have a new tool, but you're still delivering the same thing that you were five years ago, it's not going to make you a better facilitator because it wasn't designed to be facilitated. It was designed to be delivered versus facilitated. So I think that there, there is kind of this whole process that goes into it, but that doesn't mean that you can't get better at becoming a good facilitator in, in, in the process. And I think that's where this ties to well beyond just live delivery of training and things like that. Um, so here's, here's my other refresh durable skill. And I wasn't sure how to word this one. So, so don't hold me to it, but <laughs> agile technical acumen. Okay. And don't, don't put that in a report or anything. Cause that's not really going to land with anyone. But what I mean by this is we have to, and, and this goes to this tool piece, we have to be able to build, and, and you're going to notice I separate the difference between digital acumen and technical acumen, and I'm very intentional about that. When I say technical acumen, I mean mastery of a specific tool set. So if you're, if you're doing content design, you've mastered that tool set. If you're doing facilitation, you've mastered the tools that you have. When I say agile technical acumen, I mean, your ability to quickly transfer your technical acumen from one suite to another. Um, and, and what I say by that is I see far too often folks are married to a certain set of tools, which can be really helpful. It's, it's, it can be really helpful in saying, I'm really good at using these tools. But the problem with that is when the tool either falls behind, my hand gestures keep kicking in. When the tool falls behind, you now are married to a tool that may or may not be able to meet your needs. And I think that's where this whole ability to grow the skill of agile technical acumen, where you say, you know what, I'm able to rapidly pick up and put down a new set of tools very quickly. Similar tools, you know, content design tools. I can quickly switch from X, X digital content design tool to Y digital content design tool. That's a skill set. That's not something that you just do naturally. That's something going, okay, well, how do I get really good at a tool while at the same time being able to be skilled in rapidly picking up a new tool? Because, I mean, you look at this, I can tell you just from talking to hundreds of vendors every year, I mean, what the tools you're using today, you're likely not going to be using tomorrow. Or if you are, you should at least be questioning, should I still be using these tools? You know, I think sometimes think people think I just encourage people to just change your tool set for the sake of changing your tool set. No, if your tool set's staying current and you know on the cutting edge, great. But the reality is there's plenty of tools that have gone the way of you know old Yeller and it's time to put them down behind the shed. But we don't because we become so married to the tool set that we can't we can't dis deconstruct ourselves or kind of disconnect ourselves from that. And so I think that's a skill set that we may have we may have let atrophy. 
we've become comfortable with the technical tools that we have. And now this kind of hesitation to, well, I don't really know that I'm going to pick up this new tool, or maybe I will, but I'm going to naturally default back to the ones that I'm really comfortable with. I think if we can build this skill, we're going to see ourselves push things forward much faster, much further. And I think it's also going to change the way the industry is moving. Because while I know that sometimes it's really easy to point the finger at, at vendors and say, you know, well, you're not, you're not keeping up, you're not doing the right things. They're building what we're buying. And I, and I really take this, you know, kind of personally, personally in terms of like my own self-reflection of is what I'm asking for actually driving the industry forward or is what I'm asking for actually keeping us exactly where we are today? Because if, if the answer to that question is what I'm demanding, you know, if, if you're going to a roadmap session, if you're pushing from vendors more of the same, you're contributing to the problem. You're contributing to the problem in that what, what motivation do they have to push these features forward if we're saying, well, what we really want is more of this traditional stuff. We want you to enhance this traditional way of thinking. So that's where I say this agile technical acumen. It's different than digital acumen. Okay. So, so while I would say you don't have to get too married to the skill term, it's one that I would say is relevant and there is a difference between that and digital acumen. Okay, we're we're I'm gonna have to kind of move quick if we're gonna get through these. So here's here's five of the newish, newish durable skills that I would I would put in place. I I I didn't say agile, I didn't say design thinking, but you've heard me talk about us needing to be able to move faster, not get overly committed to you know, how, how we've done things or, well, this is how it's working today. You know, it's just too much work to, to disrupt things, or this is a process we're really comfortable with, but I didn't use agile or design thinking because I don't like getting married to certain processes or certain mindsets, because then we get married to that. And then that ends up becoming the idol. And we're focused more on that, on what it means. So I say iterative L and D operations. So, so what I mean by this is going back to this whole skill model in every step of this, instead of looking at these skills within our own operation as this cascading waterfall of, well, things naturally move from here and then they go here and then they go here. No, they start here. They might move over here. We might do a part of it here and then it bounces back here. And then we go through phase two, which is a little bit of like, growing up in the software world. It is, it is kind of an agile methodology of this rapid iterative approach but I think it is this hybrid mix of design thinking, which is finding problems. It's about problem finding. So being iterative in our problem finding, because if you think about it, sometimes we can get too laser focused on, well, there's the problem. And so we just keep chasing this thing and the world changes and we're still chasing that problem. So how do we know how to quickly say that was a problem, but guess what? We missed the window. We need to, we need to iterate. We need to jump and shift our focus because the business has moved, the, the workforce has changed, something's happened, we need to shift. That's kind of the design thinking part of it. But then there's also this agile kind of, okay, now we know what we're solving. How are we iterative in our actual problem solving methodology so that we're rapidly prototyping, rapidly iterating on things, moving away from this idea of, okay, we're out to, and here's a good example, okay? Here's a good example, just mindset shift. 
when it came to changing new hire experience, um, you know, when it came to changing new hire experience, it was not a, we will ever be done with this. This is not a project that starts and completes. This is a mindset and a mode of operation that will forever be part of our portfolio, where we just look at and are constantly re-evaluating what is the new hire experience and what are we doing about that. That is a skill shift because it changes the way you prioritize. It changes the things you focus on. It changes how you're deciding, well, what things are we going to work on first? Um, what things are going to who? Where is work moving and things? So I think this whole kind of shift. And that's where I say, don't get too hooked on, well, is that agile? Is it design thinking? It's it's iterative L&D operations is what we're talking about. And that's that's through that whole portfolio of skills. Um, and, and Cindy, to your question, yes, I will absolutely share the skill-based slide um, in, in the community and other channels. Um, so here, here's another one. Okay. <laughs> don't quote me on these because they're, they're not going to be ones that are just going to roll off the tongue. All right, the skill of skills. <laughs> and I kind of chuckled and, and maybe somebody else will, but at least it cracked me up. But this is actually a skill of understanding when we're talking about developing skills, that, that's a skill in and of itself. How are we actually framing and thinking about skills and skill development and how that ties to workforce development and how that ties... That is a skill in and of itself and actually understanding what do we mean when we say a skill? How are we deconstructing what a skill is and how to measure it and whether it's actually an important skill and how, how high of a priority is that? That is a skill set that we have to, and I say it's newish because in some degrees we should have always been doing this, but the demand and the focus on skills specifically has not always been there. And so we haven't really been forced to think about the skill of skills, which is, well, that's a skill set. Working with skills as the ones and zeros of our work, that's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of operating. It's a different way of working. And so I think you know, that's something that from a, whether it's a knowledge set or a skill set or a combination of both, there's a real opportunity for us as professionals in this field to say, you know what? We've got organizations who are talking about skills in, in every conversation. How are we driving that conversation? How are we making sure we're the masters of understanding what a skill is? How are we defining it? How are we measuring it? How are we determining whether it's relevant, whether it's perishable, whether it's durable? How are we determining what interventions actually have a positive impact on, on different kinds of skills? How are we determining all these things? Working in skills is very different than working in knowledge. Uh, and, and that ties to the next one, which is the skill of experience design. And I think this is one that, again, um, it's it's newish. The, the whole concept of experience design isn't new to L&D. It's not the first time anybody's going to go, wow, I've never heard experience design. I mean, LXD has been a term that's been thrown around for a while. But this is still... I'm in a lot of conversations where I'm talking with people about experience. And, and this really goes back to the skill of skills. One of the sub-skills of skills, skill of skills, is understanding experience design and actually deconstructing a skill and how do you develop a skill. And you develop a skill through far more than knowledge transfer. I mean, is knowledge transfer a relevant component? Sure, it absolutely is. But there's also this whole complicated mix of 
well, what is that user experience? Where are they right now? What are they doing? How am I going to reach them? How am I going to capture their attention? How am I going to show them that they're lacking in this skill? How am I going to create relevant opportunities for them to practice, develop, and grow that skill and do it in a measurable way? That side of experience design is not necessarily the depth that I think everyone in L&D is going to. And I think that's the skill level that we need to be taking it to. I think it's more a raising the bar on experience design. I think historically when we've talked about experience design, we're talking about UX design. We're talking about, well, what is the user's experience? You know, are they experiencing this through an employee experience platform or the LMS? What is the UX of the e-learning that they're going through? What is the UX of the facilitation tool that they're using? Yeah, that's part of it, but that's only that's only the 10%. There's the other 90%. And then there's, well, no, there's the other like 60%. And then there's the other 40% of the user experience that's on the complete other side that's on the back end of, wait a minute, how are we actually thinking about in terms of experience design? How is that impacting their managers, their stakeholders? How's it affecting us as an L&D organization and the way we do things? Um, so I think this is one of those things where the skill of skills and experience design are 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 they're, they're going hand in hand because as we think about skills, we don't grow, measure, and develop skills through traditional means of content knowledge transfer. Uh, we do that through a holistic approach of understanding even down to the mindset, the mental state of our employee. Now that may sound like, holy gadzooks, that's like impossible to get to. Yeah, it's it's a high bar. I mean, again, the skill of skills experience design, that bar is is through the roof and it's only going to get more complicated. But I think that's where we're, we're here right now. We need to up our game when it comes to these, these two, which again, I would say go hand in hand. Um, the last two with the last couple minutes that I'll that I'll touch on, and there's there's more that I, I could go into, but I'm gonna try and close on these. I, I talked about agile technical acumen, which is this ability to put up and pick up and put down technical platforms very quickly and switch between them almost seamlessly. You know, well, we're moving from O365 to Google Suite. Like I can do that very quickly. I'm not saying I can, I'm just saying that kind of how are we flipping between that? Well, we used to use articulate. Now we use blah. Like how do you quickly pick up that tool set? Then there's what I would say is digital acumen, which the way I frame this as a skill is the ability to process and look at things and understand the digital possibilities of just about anything to be able to say, what are we trying to do? Now, what are the digital implications of that in terms of how might that be accomplished? What's possible to be augmented with technology? What kind of ecosystem of tools might need to be brought into that? What's the data that's going to come out of that that we may need to consider? Um, really being able to step outside the box of, of what's possible. And again, is this in parallel to some of these skills that I've talked about previously? Yes. But it's also distinct in that the demand of digital acumen and the need to truly think like a digital leader. I was reading some research more recently about the fact that being a digital leader is not limited to any function anymore. It, it truly is just an expectation of anything. And going back to the operations side, 
Is it relevant to only your technical innovation group? No. If you're a facilitation group, you need to understand the possibilities of what could we do with technology? How might we be able to reach people? Where are they today? If you're an ex experienced designer, you need to have the same kind of digital acumen to understand what systems are in place. How do they work? Um, does this mean does this mean that you need to be a technical expert? No. And I think that's why I separate agile technical acumen from digital acumen. Do you need to be a specialist in some of those technical capabilities that are directly relevant to your swim lane? Yes. You cannot just be a you know, kind of generalist in those areas. You need to be deep and able to rapidly switch between them. But at the same time, regardless of what role you're in, you need to be able to understand the possibilities across the entire portfolio and say, okay, what does this mean? How might we think about this? What's being done today? How is technology changing the landscape of what's possible? So just to give you a really good example of this, okay, here's a very tangible example. If you're an, if you're an instructional or experienced designer, okay, AI is coming for your curation and content organization. I mean, it's here. It's here. It's not going to be long before we don't need people to actually sort through source content and determine what's relevant and what's not and, and to actually structure it. I think machines are actually already doing a better job of coming up with the first draft of that, and they're doing it faster and quicker and more effectively than people. Um, and that may sound terrifying as an instructional designer, but you need to understand that and say, okay, so what are the implications of that on my work and the way I think about things? Because does that mean that you're irrelevant? No, but it does mean that your role in that process changes. And now that consulting hat becomes more relevant. That ability to facilitate becomes more relevant because rather than scouring through you know, PowerPoint decks and trying to understand what's relevant to a problem, you're, you're going to shift your focus to say, I'm going to let the machines do that. Then I'm just going to review that. I'm going to spend more time better understanding my stakeholders and what they're trying to accomplish. That is a skill shift that, that we have to make. And that's just one example of, you know, within a role, well, 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 what would that look like? That would be one example. The last and, and by far not least, uh, I think Cindy, you were the one that brought it up or maybe somebody else did. I saw it was data acumen. Um, Liz, it was you, Liz, you brought this up. Data acumen, and again, I, I just, I want to be very careful how I frame this because does this mean we all need to become data scientists? No, it doesn't. Do we need to have a deeper understanding of what, and this ties to digital acumen, this ties to digital acumen because if you don't have the skill of digital acumen, you're likely going to struggle with the skill of data acumen, because if you don't understand the possibilities of what technology can do and the data it can capture and how it can measure things, you're going to have a hard time understanding, okay, based on that, what kind of decisions can I make and what kind of information can I gather and what kind of um, insights can I glean to be able to inform decisions and make decisions about the things that I do. And I think that's where those two data acumen and digital acumen, they're, they're, they're hand in hand, but they're distinct because understanding how to structure and, and make, you know, what data is relevant, what data is not just because we can capture everything 
doesn't mean that everything's equally relevant. Doesn't mean that some of it's even relevant and that we should even be bother capturing it. You know, I think understanding that, well, what are we trying to do with it? What can be captured? What can't be captured? For what end are we capturing it? What are the risks and inherent threats that we're bringing by capturing this data or using this data? That is a skill set that we're going to need to continue to build because the reality is our function is already, if it's not already, it should be fully digital. And that doesn't mean we don't do anything you know, interpersonal. That's not what I'm talking about. But I mean, we should be running, going back to consulting being in the lifeblood, digital should be in our lifeblood as a function. And so as a result, we need to build that skill of, okay, well, if digital is our lifeblood, then what are the data implications of that? And what does that mean for us as professionals? And how can that inform our strategy, the decisions we make, um, what we should or shouldn't be capturing? So I am over by 45 seconds. Um, my apologies, like I said, I could probably do a half day talk on just this, but I wanted to at least hit on some of the biggest things that I think set some context and then focus on, from my perspective, what I think are some of the biggest skills we in this field, regardless of where you sit, you can be focusing on to grow in your journey as a learning and development professional. So thanks everybody for jumping on. Uh, hopefully this was, was relevant, gave you some food for thought to think about, and, and you have some things to kind of go back and think about where, because even with those skills, are you going to pick all those up next month? I know you're not. So where are you going to prioritize? Where are the biggest gap? And, and what are you going to do as a result of this? So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Tuesday. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. <laughs> thanks all for the comments. It was good seeing you. Sorry for the, the gesture things. I think I figured that out. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and a wonderful rest of your week. And we will see you next week for another Learning Tech Talks. Have a great week.